you're grabbing the word of the Lord and opening to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we are looking at the first four verses. I was shared with you last week that there was a family had crossed my path. The husband, about six months, seven months ago, committed suicide. And the uh, widow and her two teenage boys um, are struggling because uh, because it was a suicide. There was no uh, life insurance. Um, and um, I had the opportunity, the privilege, to give her a lot of groceries from us uh, to the extent that if you know my pickup, it has a, a, a back seat thing in it. And it is a full-size pickup. When I put all of the groceries in it, uh, there was room for the driver. So we give them probably close to a month's worth of food. And I want to thank all of you for assisting. Um, I will not tell you her name because if she does start coming here, I don't want her to be treated awkwardly. And if she wants to share, she will share. Uh, she is not a believer, um, but um, she has was very adamant that no one has ever done anything like this for her or her family ever. So um, I'll leave it at that. I am uh, I cherish you and your giving. Uh, some ladies went out after church on Sunday. And literally went to uh, the grocery store and we had uh, even frozen food, uh, hamburger and meats and things like that. So it was more than just the food closet thing. It was uh, uh, taken from what we have in the church's account. And like I said, we bought them uh, a bunch of frozen pizzas. Man does not live by bread alone. He must have frozen pizzas. Because you can eat those three meals a day. So, especially if they're leftovers. I want to thank you, though. Um, I wish you could have all been there to see the response of this young lady. Um, oh, well. Have a word of prayer. And then we'll read these first four verses as we study the most favorite texts known to Christians. The most single favorite teaching that we all just long and thirst for on a daily basis that I need to be taught more on this. That's why I'm taking my time and we'll do this in about five weeks so that you get your fill of this wondrous topic that Christians line up to hear of. Father, we come to you before your word. You are our all in all. And Father, what you give us only perfects the soul. Father, help us. Help us to set aside this world, its temporal argument, its temporal desires and passions. And Father, bow before you understanding the greatness of being children of the King of kings and Lord of lords. You overwhelm us with the privilege to be involved with the redeeming of lost souls. Help us to walk worthy to your glory and praise. Amen. 
Now concerning collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collection may be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. Um, what we're dealing with here is a, is a fascinating text because if you're truly honest with the context, the context begins in verse 58 of chapter 15. After he praises God for the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of the saints, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Now concerning the collection for the saints, it's all the same thought. And if you really want to go on with it, he is just tying it all together and it goes all the way back to chapter 7, verse 1. Because chapter 7, verse 1, he states there, now concerning the things you have written me about, including the questions that the Corinthians had sent the Apostle Paul, was the collection, the giving. Okay, And we've seen this. Last week I laid the foundation for this text. We've seen that the Apostle Paul, though ordained by Christ on the road to Damascus, he had gone down to Jerusalem. He had met with James, John, and Peter and was sent forth and they had one command for him. What was it? Do not forget to collect for the poor. See... You and I cannot grasp poverty in light of the New Testament. I I don't care how poor you think you are today. I I have traveled in places in this world where our poorest is richer than theirs. You please understand that. And in the process of this letter, it has taken the Apostle Paul about a year to gather this money. We need to be aware, because if if you back up just one book to the 15th chapter of the book of Romans, verse 25 and 26, he says this, But now I'm going to Jerusalem to serving the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor of the saints in Jerusalem. Last week we looked at this and understood that 1 Corinthians, you need to understand, he ain't there. He's in Ephesus writing this letter to the Corinthians. All right. And when he gets to Corinth, returns back to Corinth, then he writes the letter to the Romans that you see he still has on his mind taking money for the poor. Okay. Uh, understand this. You have to, you really, really need to understand it. You heard it this morning in the text that uh, was read to you out of John. The Jews would not enter into the Praetorium. Why? It would defile them. Why would it defile them? Gentiles. Gentiles. But where was the church born at? Jerusalem. Among who? Jews. Jews. And the Apostle Paul has always had a manner in his heart, a desire in his passion, a passion in his being that the church would be 
One, the letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2 and chapter 4 both says, Jew and Gentile together, no boundaries, no walls. That, that's why it drives me crazy. I'm, I don't like to hear, uh, we are a Messianic congregation. What the heck is that? I'm a Messianic congregation. I believe in Messiah. Well, but we're Messianic Jews. Listen, I met a rabbi of the synagogue of Jerusalem, which is the synagogue. He's classified as the teacher in Jerusalem, a Brooklyn Jew. His synagogue is across the apron from the Wailing Wall, and he considers himself a Messianic Jew. And he is not a Christian. He's waiting for Messiah. Because, see, we forget something. Verse 27 of Romans 15 says this. Yes, they were pleased to do so. Who was pleased? Macedonia and Achaia to give money for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Right? Why were they pleased to do so? Because it says, the Bible says, they were indebted to them. You got that? If you're going to be a partaker of the spiritual thing, then you should minister in the temporal things. You know what? I'll be honest with you. I've got a couple of texts in here today that when I was pulling this together over the last few months, I'll be honest with you. I was a little uncomfortable. Okay, and you'll see why here in a few minutes. But you know what? I I took it before the Lord and I prayed about it. And you know what? It dawned on me. You know what the Lord showed me? You're uncomfortable teaching my word? No. (laughs) Well, what about the giving part? It's in my word. Are you uncomfortable teaching then? No. If the Gentiles have benefited by God's spiritual work through Israel, the Jews should benefit by God's giving in abundance to the Gentiles economically. That's what the Romans believed. That's what the people of the Macedonian and the Achaia, that's what the people of Asia Minor and Galatia, they all believed, that they were indebted to the Jews. Let's be simple about it, okay? Because we hear that, indebted. Wait a minute, indebted? Yeah, yeah. Salvation is of the Jew first. Okay, the Old Testament came through who? The Jews. Most of the New Testament came through who? The Messiah came through who? The prophetic office came through who? The Jews. The message of Messiah came through who? Jews. Guess what? You're indebted to the Jews. The apostle to the Gentiles was a Jew. We have been made partakers of that which was given to humanity through who? Through the Jews. See, the spiritual has been given and it came through the Jews. And because it has been given to us, then what? We should give. We should give. So Paul is basically, he's taking this collection as a thank offering to the Jews. Specifically, the Jews in Jerusalem. Why? They were in extreme need. Okay? He's not in Corinth. 
Okay, he's telling the Corinthians that he's coming and when he comes back through, he'll pick up his offering. By the time he gets to Corinth, he'll collect it and take it back. All right. Evidently, it was a large sum of money. Here's why I say that. Verse four. And if it is fitting for me to go also, I'll go. Why? That means it's going to get too big that we don't want one person just taking this thing. We'll take it. And if it's not large enough, then I will continue to minister to the church of the Gentiles until we got enough that we'll send them more. Okay? Listen, I, we need to understand this collection. Now the collection. I, I want to kind of reemphasize this because one of the things I think we struggle with at times... Like four different things I want you to think about. Jerusalem is at the writing of the New Testament was a dirt poor city. Okay, Um, this is not the city of Solomon. All right, it it had become um, uh, the city itself was overpopulated, and it had become a religious mecca. Okay, for who? For the Jews. And God birthed the church there. And you put both of those institutions in there. And you know what? You immediately get a drain on the economy. Okay? Um, At feast time, anytime you had a religious festival, it was not uncommon for the city to swell by two million more people. Okay, they estimated at the Passover of Christ's crucifixion. Okay, now you you know what the Passover is, right? The slaughtering of a sheep. You should cut its throat and bleed it out, right? You understand that? All right. And if you weren't enough, uh, if if you had one person and he had a whole sheep, then he could gather up a group of people and you could all share that sheep, that lamb, right? They estimated be. At 2.1 million sheep were slaughtered that day. You got that? So you know how many people are there? That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. I always thought about it because when I came out of the temple ground, they had a, 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 a drainage system where the slaughter would go on and it would flow out and it would drop down into the Kidron and the Kidron was this little creek. Okay, and Jesus had to walk across that creek to go up to the uh, Mount of Olives. And he had had to walk through that. And that thing would have been run at least pink with the blood that was being shed for sin, knowing that his was about to be shed for sin. Okay, you think about that and you can ponder that a bit. So you add this in here and you got to admit that this is going to be a strain on the resources. Okay, Um, Jerusalem, the city was dependent on Jews who worked abroad and they would send money back to the temple. Okay, it's still today. It's still today. I mean, when I met this rabbi a few years ago who is the teacher in Jerusalem, I mean, as soon as he greeted me, you get this big Brooklyn accent. You're sitting there going, what was that? I mean, I thought you would be more Hebrewic. <laughs> you sound like you're a Yankee fan. And it's still there today. 
So poverty existed in the city. Okay, but I want you to think about something else. Here's something I believe that you and I forget. Okay? What were the Christians like in that city? They were persecuted for their faith. Okay? They couldn't get a job. They would not get any benefit whatsoever out of the synagogue. Synagogue ain't going to give them no money. They've got all these benefactors from around the civilized world sending money back to the temple. And you say, well, we're going to start helping these people who believe in a rejected, crucified Messiah. What do you think? Well, I'm shutting my money off. Okay. I mean, if you look at it, I mean, there's so many texts that deal with this. Um, when I think about uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14, he says this. <clears throat> For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Speaking of the believers in Thessalonica. And you endured the same suffering at the hands of your own countrymen as also did the Jews. I mean, the Apostle Paul was on the road to Damascus to do what? Okay, if you're truly honest with Scripture, you start in chapter 8 of the book of Acts through the conclusion of it. What do you have? The persecution of the church. Right? So you have these believers in Jerusalem who basically have been ostracized from society. And they already live in poverty. Third thing that we need to be aware of is concerning this collection is, do you remember the birth of the church at Pentecost? Holy Spirit came down. Okay, you have a city that has swelled 1.1 to 2 million extra people, pilgrims from around the civilized world who have come to worship. Right? They've come to the temple. The city's exploding with people. And then Peter walks into the temple area and he preaches. Men of Israel who murdered Messiah. What happened? Huh? Three grand. Now think about that for a second. You got 3,000 pilgrims who have jobs somewhere else who have just received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You, who are the leader of the church, what are you going to do? You're going to send them back to their pagan societies? No church, no New Testament, no Bible? What are you going to do with them? And then the... I can't believe it. The next day, he goes out and preaches again. Guess what? 5,000. In a week's time, you have a church with 11 scared chickens, and now you got 10,000 people who don't have jobs or homes or anywhere to go but where you're standing. What are you going to do? Just think about that. You'll see that there was a group of men who were teaching the first seminary in Antioch, Syria, 
And what did they were teaching teachers so that we could get more people out and get them moving around a little more and get the church out. And you know what their first responsibility? They sent Paul and Barnabas down to Jerusalem, his first trip to Jerusalem. You know what for? He had a specific reason. To take an offering to the saints in Jerusalem from the church at Antioch, Syria. You think about it right now. Okay? I preach one sermon. Let's make it reasonable. 200 people get saved. None of them got jobs. What are we going to do? What are you going to do? They left everything because there wasn't like there was a whole bunch of churches, was there? It wasn't like, well, you know, I'm going to go to the Second Baptist Church down in uh, just outside of Galatia. No, you didn't do that. You got a church. You have a city of poverty. You've got people who have been ostracized, persecuted in poverty. And now all of a sudden the bugger has grown by to 10,000 in poverty. What are you going to do? I know what you do. Acts chapter 2 says that they held all things in common. You know what? They all had come to salvation, and if they seen one who had a need, then someone met it. You got saved. Where did you live? Spain. Well, you can't go back there. There's no church in Spain. Stay here. You can live with me. Okay? Now listen, you don't think that ain't true. What happened in chapter 4? Resources was getting so tight in the church that Barnabas sold a big old chunk of property and did what? Gave it to the church. Why? We got lots of mouths to feed. And you see that all the way through. You know what? After a while, that many people there, it's going to get difficult. It will stretch resources. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever sold property to give to the saints? Poor saints? I sold a boat, 16-foot fishing boat, 115-horse Evinrood, so I could go to Russia my first time. You know what? It can't go on forever because you're going to run out of possessions to sell. <laughs> you know, I sold all my property. I sold all my cars. And I'm standing here now. I am as poor as you are. <laughs> So you see the financial problem. But you know what else was amazing about this place? Acts chapter 11, verse 27, Agabus predicted this, that there would be a famine in the land for four years. Yay. And that is part of the reason that you've seen Paul and Barnabas come out of Antioch with money. Because, I mean, you got a four-year famine and it's been predicted. So, listen, if God told you that the economic thing was going to collapse that happened this fall... He told you, here it comes. What would you have done? I can tell you what we didn't do. We did not set aside money and resources in the body of Christ so that we could help other people in the body of Christ. We did not do that. Now, I got to also tell you, God didn't tell me <laughs> that the stock market was going to collapse. If he told you, I'm mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I'm glad you kept it quiet. 
Okay, so when you see this, do you understand that first Corinthians, he is writing and they had asked a question in chapter seven, verse one concerning on multiple different things. And part of this was what about the collection for the saints in Jerusalem? Because that's what he's talking about. And he's answering that question. How do we collect this? Um, And he gives them instruction that will set out every principle for every church till he comes and redeems her. Jew and Gentile was his passion, one in Christ. And you know what? I hate to say this, and I know that it may sound, but this act of love is money-based. Okay? You, listen, you reach people with money, And I guarantee you, they reach back instantaneously. This family that I took this food to, they knew how much money that I was sitting there shoving at them. And they reached back giving in hugs and tears like you had never seen. It's instantaneous. You give money to somebody who's in need. You will get a response. You know what's another thing that I was looking at? This collection, this giving thing. If you look at it, 2 Corinthians 8.4, 2 Corinthians 9.13, and Romans chapter 15, verse 26, it'll speak of this collection or of this giving. And you know what's amazing about that word? All those texts in several different places in the New Testament, it uses the Greek word koinonia to speak of this. Do you know what koinonia means? Fellowship. You give for fellowship. Do you know that giving is inseparable from fellowship? You cannot share money without sharing fellowship. You know, part of me wishes that everyone could be a pastor for a time. I really do. I mean, I know everybody's like, women can't be. That, that, you're missing my point here, people. Okay? Because you know what? I understand this principle better than anybody in this room, probably. I don't think you guys understand how much fellowship that I have to have with you. Because where do I get my money? You ever thought about that? We'll press on a little farther. Listen, there is a spiritual debt that was going on with the people in Israel because they had this poverty that I just laid out for you. And now they've got this overwhelming act of love coming from these Gentiles to meet their needs. All of the churches... And Galatia is the great big northern area of Asia Minor. He says an Asia Minor was giving money. And he says that Achaia was giving money. He says that um, Macedonia was giving money. You know what that is? That's the whole Gentile world, except for Rome. And then he says, the Romans are giving money. I'm swinging through. When we look at this, I broke this thing into four spots. And you see that the purpose of giving, do you see it? I mean, you can see the fundamental purpose. The fundamental purpose is for the saints, the Galatians, the Macedonians, the Achaeans, the Asia Minors, 
All of these saints are giving to. To saints. In Acts chapter 2, all things in common. In Acts chapter 4, they're selling property. In Acts chapter 6, what had happened? They had gotten enough that they could feed the widows. And they had to come up with deacons. And the, these widows had no ability to work or do to gain anything. And so they were coming into the church for food. Listen, it hasn't changed. You know, I watched several years ago, I guess, what, two years ago, we started a King's Kitchen. And we had this grandiose mindset that says, you know what? We're going to reach all the homeless in Castle Rock. Guess what? There's only one. And he ain't coming. Okay? But we had this, and then we said, well, we're a failure. Really? I know some ladies who show up here every Saturday, and they don't think you're a failure. I know some people who just show up because they want to eat. And they're brothers and sisters in Christ. They don't think you're a failure. I took a whole pickup truckload of groceries to a young lady that doesn't even know Christ. She don't think you're a failure. Because it didn't look the way you think it did. It's still working well. The church is to invest in its own life. Do you understand that? It's own people. And listen, we don't do it just within the walls. Remember Luke 10? Jesus' illustration of the Good Samaritan? He went way out of his way to take care of this man who condemns him. We do good to all people, Galatians tell us. To all people. God wants us to do good to those in the household of faith. And he wants us to do good to those outside of the household of faith. We're helping the church. It's a primary thing. I really wish that the brothers and sisters would understand that. We struggle with it. I've watched it. Well, they, they don't, well, I don't, I just don't know about giving, you know what? Give them groceries. You know what? Give them money to the church and let the church be the steward of it. I'm thinking that that's a pattern. All right. Have you ever thought about it? God puts in the church men that meet a certain accountability, a certain requirement as what? Stewards over the flock. And yet everybody thinks they're a better steward than the elders. And they're only God-ordained. Is that not the height of arrogance? My question is, if you don't think the elders are doing it right, step up. You meet the criteria of an elder? Step up. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Verses 6 and 11. Chapter 3, verses 6 and 11. We command you, brother, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, not according to the traditions which you have received from us. What tradition have you just received from me? Giving. And anyone who doesn't do that is classified as what by Paul's standards? Unruly. You know what else another unruly person is? Verse 11, we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all. Scary thought. 
Well, now, you know, when I look at Thessalonians, and I thought Jesus was coming back at any second, so we're just standing around waiting. But it ain't working well. Why? Do you understand that the first time that God reveals Himself, do you know what He's doing? Working. Did you know that? And remember the phrase that we always like to tout? We were created in His image. You know what that means? Get a job. Right? You see, people have missed this. Do you understand? We talk about the sacraments, the sacred actions. Okay? Water baptism is a sacred action. Amen. The Lord's table is a sacred action. Amen. Working is a sacred action. Amen. <laughs> so, do you understand what I'm trying to get at here? It's a primary thing. Okay, why? We give so that we take care of ourselves. All right? Second thought. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 15, the Apostle Paul thanks the Philippians for something. Do you know what it is? They gave him a big old bag of money. It wasn't for the saints in Jerusalem. It was for Paul. And he thanked him. I've had people do this around Christmas. People send, um, the big thing is these, uh, I've been getting these, uh, what do they call them? Gift cards. Um, and, uh, you know, the first one was real annoying because it was for Costco and I don't go there. I don't have a membership. So cool. <laughs> what do I do? But, but they learned from that because I, I got one just uh, this last Christmas from Wells Fargo. And so you, you can just spend it like, you know, it was enough for one tank of gas in my truck. Anyway, <laughs> uh, and, and I have people who do this on a regular basis, and it's, and it's a thrill. Uh, sometimes they tell me who they are. Sometimes I have no idea who they are. I just find them. No, I'm not stealing. He's running around stealing gift cards. No, I'm not stealing. Okay? Let me give you a thought because sometimes we forget. And I know that everybody loves to be taught these texts. Uh, we dealt with this earlier. I want you to think about this because, just because. Chapter 9, verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you not my work in the Lord? That's what Paul's telling the Corinthians. Okay. If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you have the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. I mean, the fact that you're a church is because I was here, so it's obvious that the Lord has used me to be the messenger, at least to you. Okay? Then he makes these statements. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Okay, listen, if I was the one who brought you the message of salvation and you drew into it, don't I have the right to eat and drink? Interesting concept. Do we not have the right to take on a believing wife, even at the rest of the apostles? Isn't, do I not have the right to take my family and care for them? Is its context. Verse 7. 
who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense. That sure thinned the military out, didn't it? <laughs> you want bullets? Go buy them. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> who plants a vineyard and does not eat a fruit of it? Who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? Verse 11. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Is that one there bug you? Nobody's answering. I ain't telling you. What, you think I'm crazy? <laughs> if that one bugs you, wait till you get this one. Second Timothy or First Timothy chapter five. Verse 17. I would highly suggest if you're going to daydream, go now. Because <laughs> one of the things I've learned about Scripture is once you hear it and the authority of the Holy Spirit teaching it to you, guess what? You are responsible for it. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't giggle like that. That sounds mean-spirited. Chapter 5. Verse 17, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Do you know what double honor means? That isn't twice as many attaboys, in case you were wondering. Okay, do you want me to give you the Greek context? Double pay. Okay, but there's a qualifier. There's a qualifier. Look what it says. Okay, you know who the elders are, right? You know what the elder is, right? The pastor. Right? I mean, it's the shepherd of the flock. <clears throat> who rule well. Okay, you know what that means, right? Their counsel is godly. Their lives are godly. They walk this way and they're doing it well. Okay? But he makes another qualifier. He says, especially those who work hard at what? Preaching and teaching. Okay, <laughs> the word work hard there is a veterinary term in the, uh, in the um, Greek. And it has to do with when, a, uh, when you're running a horse and you stretch it out far enough that it tears a muscle. Okay, so you got to look at someone who is preaching and teaching, especially those, and they are working themselves physically exhaustive. Okay, because if you find one of those, you have a responsibility. Do you know what that responsibility is? Double pay. I want you to think about something. How much does your family doctor get paid who will take care of your temporal being? How much does your pastor get paid who takes care of your eternal being? Which one is more valuable? And if you find one... Now you, have you ever seen doctors who... <laughs> Here, take one of these. You'll be all right. See you, bye. Did you pay the copay? No. Ever seen them doctors? You know which ones I'm talking about? They don't hear, you know, they come and look at you. How you feeling? I just got this head thing. Here, take these, see you. 
Well, maybe it's a tumor. <laughs> I don't know. Nah, it's no tumor. <laughs> Just take these pills. Okay? And you know what? I've seen pastors who are like that. Who do not rule well. And they do not work hard at preaching and teaching. Okay, You know what? If you really look at the phrasing that is here in verse 17, you have those who rule well, and then you have those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Okay, So, you know, it's, it's almost like the pastor is merit-based. <laughs> if all he's doing is ruling well, but he's not really working hard at preaching and teaching, just give him straight pay. If he's working hard at preaching and teaching and he's very diligent at it, double pay. And you know what? Do you see why I'm a little uncomfortable teaching on this? And God says, you're going to be uncomfortable teaching my word. No, I'm not. Can I just tape it and play it? Okay, let me show you. I'll close this thing up. This is a basic principle that the church is called to to support its people and its leaders. That should be a mandate in the church. Listen, there are some who are over in the closet or over in the corner and they're, they're piling up their cash and they're not being honest to the whole picture. We've already looked at the resurrection, brothers and sisters. We're out of here. I receive a resurrected body. What, are you going to take it with you? Do you know that it's absolutely useless in eternity? You know what? I'll close with this because I, I wanted I wanted you to think about this a little bit. One of my greatest joys, possibly my greatest joy, is receiving from this church. Because when I receive from this church, Do you know what I get to do? I get to celebrate my joy by giving back. You know what? I give back spiritually and I give back financially. I preach and teach and you give to me so that I can eat And sustain myself health-wise. And you give to me so that I can have a roof over my head. So that I can feed. So that I can feed you. Do you understand what a joy that is? That I can't even describe it. I get to have an intimate koinonia with every single one of you who give. Because I can't separate your giving from our fellowship. That's amazing. That's amazing. So do you see here in this text the purpose for giving? It's real straightforward. It is real straightforward. It is for the saints. 
It is for the saints. Isn't that amazing? And yet, if you think about it, is there any greater act of love? I want you to think about that in the weeks to come because I still have a few more sermons in this. And I know this is our favorite topic. Yay, he's going to teach his own giving. And, you know, where would you would stop? Why? I'm already convicted. You know what? Let me share with you something. If you're convicted, there is a cure for it. Change. You change. I mean, I already had to change. I didn't want to teach on this. I'm uncomfortable teaching on this. And God says, oh, you're uncomfortable teaching my word. Oh, never mind. Bad choice of words, Lord. But teach it. Let's pray. Father, I praise you for your word. As we prepare for the Lord's table, what was given is still amazing to me. And yet, Father, you allow us to be a part of your kingdom building, each and every one of us. Father, move in our hearts. If we are struggling with this, help us to overcome. Father, help us to be children whose faith is not in the world, but whose faith is in the resurrection to come and the privilege of being in your church this day, this age, in your time. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you set up this magnificent principle before us. Father, may we be found faithful to your glory and praise. Amen.